0: Hello everyone and thank you for tuning in to the Real Estate Shop Educational Platform, the go-to destination for expert insights into the dynamic world of real estate. I'm Ari Petronelli and a real estate agent based in sunny Southern California. Whether you're a seasoned investor or a first-time home buyer or simply just curious about the intricacies of property appraisal, you are in for a treat today. Our experts are here to answer your burning questions and share invaluable insights. So sit back, relax, and let's embark on a journey of real estate wisdom with The Real Estate Shop. Today, we are going to delve into the intricate realm of property valuation. Joining us are two highly esteemed appraisers with a wealth of knowledge and experience. Please welcome John Penner and Marcus Espinoza, whose expertise spans the diverse landscapes of the ins and outs of appraisals. Thank you guys for being here. Yeah, hi, Ari. Hi, thanks. Hi. So... John Penner has over 40 years of experience in appraisal and consulting services for all types of properties, specializing in medical office, industrial, retail, development, fractional interests, and eminent domain. In addition, he publishes the widely cited Penner Expense Guide, which uses actual expense data from properties throughout Southern California. Mr. Penner has qualified as an expert witness in bankruptcy in Superior Court for Orange, LA, and San Diego counties. He is a member of the Appraisal Institute with an MAI designation and a certificate in litigation. John, again, thank you for being here.
1: Hey, great. Uh, that was a great introduction. Uh, <laughs> sound more experienced than I am, maybe. I've,
0: no, sounds <laughs> pretty impressive. I have impressive. been
1: for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, I consider myself really fortunate to be in a field that I really enjoy for this long. And I you know, hope to be in it longer, so um, for another 10, 15 years. Um... So uh, your question was about the MAI designation?
0: Uh, yes what is an MAI
1: MAI stands for the uh, member of the Appraisal Institute which is the largest organization in the country for appraisal and it's the longest standing it goes back to the 1930s and it was created after the banking crisis that created the um, Great Depression so um, it's a very rigorous um, educational thing that we we have to take a number of classes and show our experience and pass a demonstration report and also a comprehensive exam to get this after having a a four-year degree. So it's pretty extensive and uh, usually it takes at least 10 years in your career before you reach that point.
0: So it's almost like having a master's or PhD. Yes,
1: yeah, very much so.
0: And appraisals, that's, yeah, that's really interesting and um so Marcus, uh Marcus Espinoza is a certified real estate appraiser who holds an MAI, SRI, ASA, and CCIM designations with his own company Accurate Appraisers with over 23 years of real estate appraisal and consulting experience. Uh Marcus, what exactly is a SRA, ASA, and CCIM?
2: Thank you, thank you, Ari. Uh, just like John Penner just mentioned, you know, uh, the SRA is also a, another designation that you obtain by the Appraisal Institute. And like John Penner just mentioned, you know, the Institute has been around for several, several uh, uh, 1930s. And um, it stands for Senior Residential Appraiser. And um, the Senior Residential Appraiser, or SRA, um, I would say... The last I check about maybe 1% of all appraisers holds that designation. The ASA is another institute um, that uh, has been around for a long time as well. And that stands for uh, accredited senior appraiser. And the ASA is more of a multidiscipline um, organization where they focus on business valuation, they focus on um, personal property valuation, real estate valuation. And um, the reason why I picked that one up was because of the going concern valuations that we do in in our field. Um, and the CCIM is more geared towards brokers. Um, and that stands for Certified Commercial Investment Member. And just like John said, you have to, you know, rigorous, you know, program, you know, you have to do a lot to get it. So, you know, so yeah, it's like getting your master's or your PhD. You know those designations so they're they're not they're not easy to get they're hard to get um but um, you know we do it because we want our our clients to feel comfortable and who they're selecting as their next appraiser and so it's very important to them so it's very important to us
0: i think that's really incredible that you guys have done that
1: yeah i wish i would have done some things marcus did
0: (laughs) (laughs) john I was curious about your expense guide and why you created the expense guide for other real estate professionals um, or investors. I've had the privilege of reading it and it is, it's incredible. It's really interesting with the amount of information that you have in there.
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, when I was starting out appraising, and it was, I'm also a broker, uh, you start to look into investment properties and you, know, you have a rent. You know, let's say the property is fully leased, you have a rent, you have a pretty good idea of what the rent is because you have a rent for your property. Uh, if it's fully leased, then you pretty much know what your vacancy is. You probably have an idea of a cap rate. These are all the things that go into coming up with an income approach analysis of your property and come up with a value. Uh, the, real, the real question is the expenses. It's hard to know what they are. And if you don't itemize them, especially here in California with Proposition 13, then you're just never really going to, you're not going to be able to just say, oh, well, it's $10 a square foot or it's eight or it's this percentage or something. That just isn't going to work. So you have to really itemize them. And so I began to look at that. And, you know, when you look at expenses uh, and you itemize them, sometimes you don't get that good information. And so if you don't have an expense guide or something to look at, what is the market really doing here? All you have is what the Owner provides to you right and you may not get it right mm-hmm. if you assume that's correct yeah, that's True.
2: no
0: that information is I mean so valuable to potential investors or buyers and um, so Marcus in one case maybe a property owner would say that they don't want to provide maybe their 2019 financials as they received a substantial income that year and don't want to show that how would you handle that
2: um, that's actually a real life question i mean that happens in real life is what i mean um so um so they don't want to provide their 2019 so i mean if they're providing their 18 their 19, they don't want to provide their their 19 20 21 22 then it kind of looks suspicious it looks like why are you not including that inside of your appraisal report now can i not Include it because there was an anomaly income stream that year. Yes, I mean, I, it doesn't it doesn't help our valuation because it might not have any weight to um, what our conclusion would be because it was an, an anomaly year. Um, but um, we actually see it the other way where there's not a lot of income. I see it more when there's not a, a lot of income in 2019. Um, 2019 was before COVID, so um, I wouldn't that wouldn't be a reason to not include it but i i would encourage the client i would encourage the property contact to include it and we can just you know we 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 would just say that you know this was an anomaly year yeah you know, maybe maybe it doesn't reflect what this what the subject property is performance so we would um we would we it just it, it all it all depends on on where that number is at. I mean, if it's double 2018, if it's double 2020, 2021, 22, then we we might elect to give it less weight, and we'll take it in consideration, but we'll probably elect elect to give it less less weight. Um, yeah, yeah. You hate to say it, but
1: you know, property owners are biased towards what they want, right. and they usually want a higher value. Sometimes they want lower values, yeah. <laughs> but that's not our job, and um, our job is to come up with what a reasonable buyer would pay for a property and usually a seller would would sell it for. So, you know, if you're going to look at expenses, this is where they tend to buffalo you. Yes. This is where they, you know, you, you, you and you got to think that and, and know that going in, you got to really kind of have an idea of what's going on or they may be able to pull the wool over your eyes. Right.
0: Right, because usually appraisers request maybe three to five years of financials. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of property owners don't want to necessarily divulge that information.
1: Yeah, sometimes they think it's kind of ridiculous or just too much or whatever, (laughs) but they're really kind of holding back. and Well, and sometimes they don't keep very good records, (laughs) you know, mom and pop and, you know, so.
0: Yeah, Yeah. so um, also expenses in rent, I'm sorry, expenses in RSO and rent expenses have increased over the past several years, both due to inflation and higher usage from residents, whether they're working from home or just being home in general. Conversely, rents have not really increased the last few years. So how does that operating results, you know, uh, should a return to normal expense ratios be forecast?
2: Right. Um, So what, um, it should be normal. And when I say normal, I mean, it should be normal with your data set. You know, your data set, if you're appraising an RSO property with the restrictions, with rent controls in a rent control area, your data that you ex- extract, you want to get your rent comparables. You want to get your sales comparables, your expense comparables. You want to generate all that information from a rent-controlled environment. Um, otherwise, you're like not analyzing the correct data. So it should be normal. Um, yes, um, in, uh, expenses historically have gone up. You know, trash has gone up, water's gone up, insurance has gone up. And rent has not gone up, um, and rent hasn't gone up not because of the market. It just hasn't gone gone up because of the RSO restrictions. COVID nineteen put a freeze on um, increasing rents. So we're supposed to allow our landlords to increase their rents this February. It's seven percent, which is a very high number. You're talking about apartments. Apartments, yeah. yes. So um, yeah, rent control is a big a big issue. R- RSO. Um, Um, Properties are are um, are are they're they're easy to appraise as long as you know what that as long as you're bringing the correct data to the table. So the expense ratio should be should be should be normal.
0: All right. So uh, so John, reserves and replacements are another expense that I see appraisers use and others don't use. What is the correct way of analyzing reserves and replacements?
1: Well, you have to have the penner expense guide. I mean, number one. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, you've got some expenses that are related to long-life items that the building has, you know, that are, you know, your structure. That's not going to, that's going to depreciate over time, and when it's done, your building's done. But uh, there's short-lived items also, and that's really what we're talking about, the roof, um, the the floor covering, uh, the parking lot, Things like that. Um, if you're doing an apartment and we're talking about all the appliances and things of that nature, your air conditioner, your, your oven, your uh, refrigerator, um, your washer, dryer. So we're looking at those and we're looking at the life they're going to be, which is shorter than the life of the building. And so we're trying to come up with what would that maintenance be? So it's kind of an add-on to the repairs and maintenance expense, um, but it needs to be reflected because sometimes your repairs and maintenance that are normally happening aren't reflecting that because maybe your building's 10 years old, but these things are going to last 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so you don't really have a number for that, but you have to factor it Mm -hmm. in because it's going to happen over time. And your income stream estimate, when you're all said and done, is going to reflect the value of your property into perpetuity for the life of that building, for the life of that investment. And so it needs to reflect those expenses.
0: Another big, you know, topic these days is insurance and insurance is a big issue with property owners, mm-hmm. you know, since insurance has increased more than historical norms in the recent years. Uh, do you use a higher conclusion than the current insurance premium?
2: Um, so our conclusions are based on the theory of anticipation. That means that we're using, we're projecting what the, pro, how the property is going to perform that next year and so if we have historicals saying that they're at 20 cents a square foot and it's 25 cents a square foot 30 cents a square foot or let's say all of them were 30 um i have seen um uh, insurance go up as much as 30 percent if compared to last year um so that right there would have to be taken in consideration for your project for your projected uh uh, expense line item, um, and and us as appraisers, we take that into consideration. We look at their history. We look at something like the expense guideline from John Penner. We also look at um, expense comparables, and so we t- we group all that information together, and we say, okay, well, what makes sense, and what's going on in the market today? If the market today, if all our data is saying it's all thirty cents a square foot, but we know that. The next year will be there's an increase in 30 30 percent because we've seen it then we would take that in consideration marcus what do you think about uh earthquake insurance how do you handle that we tend to leave that out because um because um it's not a required expense some some landlords elect to you know pick up that expense but the reason why we don't include it include it because it's not underwritten that way with other properties it's not underwritten it's, we don't underwrite it investors don't underwrite it so if investors are not underwriting and sale number 1 and 2 don't underwrite it then it just mitz, it just mixes
1: yeah and the expense can be double right and like, and which of all double. your expenses are it's kind of crazy yeah. high here in california yeah that's true Right. yeah Oy. flood insurance is another but yes. if the property is required to have flood insurance then we'll include that right
0: uh, John, I wanted to talk about you know Prop 13. I've noticed that some appraisers use Prop 13 for the real estate, real estate tax conclusion using the value conclusion. In other cases, I see appraisers not deduct taxes and add the tax rate to the cap rate. What is the correct way in handling this expense line item?
1: Well, I think it's the first way. Uh, but I did have an attorney just this last week argue with me a lot because I'm doing <laughs> a tax appeal and state law. Has a different definition of market value for tax appeal so the assessors are looking for us to load the cap rate with the tax rate however it does result in a lower value which is what the client wants <laughs> <laughs> but that's state law also yeah. so i'm including and i'm loading the cap rate but other than tax appeal i never use that method i always use just using the cap rate times the value
0: so marcus if using prop 13 which value should be used the final conclusion the purchase contract price or the lowest value conclusion by the approaches used
2: that's interesting i see that done in different different ways um but if you're asking me i would be using the purchase price however uh the purchase price can be uh there could be a big delta between purchase price, because that's and market value. Um, I mean, I actually myself um, personally bought a property um, back in 2020. And on paper, we bought it for 600000 But the property was never worth 600000 And It was clear that it wasn't worth 600000 So the assessor turned on the radar for the assessor. The assessor said, hey, this property is not worth $600,000. we are going to do our own assessment. So they did their own assessment. So when they did their own assessment, they came out at 950. Now, was it worth 950? That's the question. Um, well, um, what does the assessor use? They use market rents, they use average condition, and that's what they did. And so, when doing that, they're not considering the other things. They don't know what the they don't know what the what the actual rent is. They don't know what the condition of the property is. So, was it worth 950? Uh, no, it wasn't worth 950. It was worth something south of that number. But you know, then that, then then that's when you have to go do a tax appeal and say, hey, listen, it's not worth nine fifty, and here's why. And so then the here's why comes up, and then uh, then then the 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 assessor appraiser lays low on it. But in most cases, we use the purchase price because if our valuation is off, say five or ten percent, the assessor is still going to use purchase price. You know, so that's what they would use. That's what I would use. I do see it used where, um, you know, they say that the income approach is a self-contained, you know, approach. So let's use that number. I also see other people use other, uh, you know, they use the sales comparison approach because that's going to be the final conclusion of the report. So, you know, I see it done different ways, but I I tend to veer on the purchase purchase price. Yeah, I think...
1: uh... I like to look at, uh, you know, how court really looks at things because ultimately if something is in dispute, it ends up there. Not that often, but that's really the arbitrator of what really, the final arbitrator. And, you know, so you have to get back to basics. And what they're really looking for is sales. It's Mm -hmm. really hard to disagree with a sale because Mm -hmm. like Marcos was saying, the purchase price is the purchase price. Somebody actually agreed to buy it for that and sell it for that. Mm -hmm. And so as long as that sale goes along with other sales in the market, it's really hard to disagree with that. Yeah. So I think the other approaches are strong also uh, in certain instances, but uh, that's probably the strongest indication.
0: I was always curious about this, but uh, do you find that there are significant cost savings if a property owner has more than one building? You know, for example, you lower repairs and maintenance. Uh, and what other expenses could have cost savings?
2: That's actually a good question. Um and the reason why that is because when you're doing when we're doing portfolio assignments um we do see a, a a lax uh amount for repairs and maintenance and the reason why is because if you own a portfolio of property say 25 buildings and they're multi-tenant um you know then you're going to have ongoing repairs and maintenance like you're, it's just going to be re- reoccurring like on you know on a daily you know so you know so you could actually hire a handyman and just hire him for 40 hours a week and you just include him in your payroll and it might, it, you know, turns out that, it, you know, it could be less expensive than hiring the subcontractor coming out and, and, you know, vetting him and it, it just, yeah. And then, you know, they're charging you for that one time appearance. If you have a subcontractor coming out and they're coming out, you know, you know, uh, 15 times a month, then they're going to be more relaxed on, on what they charge you. Um, also with property management, if I went to you and said, "Hey Ari, I got a, I got a four-unit retail building that I would like for you to manage," and you'd be like, "Okay, cool, I'll manage it." And then, you know, if I bring um, fifteen of those to you, you might be, "Okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm bringing more revenue to your to your business, and you might, you know, cut me cut me some slack on the percentage." So, you know, that's that's yeah. So that's that's what I see when I'm working with portfolio.
0: I also see that a lot of buildings are managed by the property owner. Uh, John, why would you deduct a management expense when analyzing a property?
1: Well, you're going to have to manage it you know, no matter what. So you are doing something. Now, whether you want to, if you don't charge a management fee, then that means you make more income. Okay, so you're going to pay a tax on that. If you are the manager and you make money of that, well, then you're going to pay that as income to you and you're going to pay taxes on that also. So it's just a matter of what they're going to do, but basically... The, You know, everybody's going to have to have management for a property. And if you're a buyer, then you're going to have to assume that that's going to be a cost. Absolutely. So you have to account for that. Somebody has to do the work. Yeah.
0: But So how should owners handle capital repairs and improvements, John? Like water heaters, roof replacement, you know, painting. Uh, And when can they deduct them in the year incurred versus amortizing them?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Just to kind of go back a little deeper. Sometimes there's capital expenses and maybe that's a major tenant improvement for the property or something. And that's not something that's going to be deducted as an everyday operating expense. So we do not include that in our everyday expenses. Um, That's going to be dealt with separately down below the NOI line, the net operating income line. So, um, but aside from that, then we're just kind of looking at the expenses and some, some owners deduct them every year all the time. And then others, you know, account for them over a time period. We're not really looking as an appraisers. We're not looking. We're not an accountant. We're not going to. We're not going to utilize de, uh, depreciation and things of that nature. We're going to try to account for what is typical for this property and arrive at a number at that. And probably repairs and maintenance is probably the hardest number to come up with in your appraisal, huh. as far as expenses go.
0: Huh. So where do you see expenses in the next year then?
1: Uh, you know, I think that uh, Marcus touched on insurance. That's yeah. got to be the biggest rising one, whether it's worried about fires or all sorts of different liability. So that's probably the biggest one that's really jumping right now, and there's no question. When I come up with my numbers next year, I know that's going to be higher. Uh, utilities. Utilities are yeah. just crazy right now. Yeah. I mean, whether it's water or electric, and uh, you know, they're putting all this infrastructure in, in California for uh, climate change. Uh, Well, we're going to end up footing the bill. (laughs) So the utilities are really probably going to go up, too. I think maintenance actually is kind of staying stable because uh, the supply chain problems we had during COVID are not there anymore. There's not as much construction going on right now, so the cost of different items isn't as high. So I think that is kind of leveled off.
2: But uh, the insurance and utilities are probably
1: the biggest area.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
0: I feel it. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: With repairs and maintenance, I've seen, you know, Contractors that would contact me, and they would actually, you know, hey, you know, I mean, can I do some work? When they're calling you, because they need work, that's when you know that there's gonna be some relaxed, some relaxed numbers. So yeah, stable, stable, even probably even decrease what repairs, possibly, rates. yeah, because he I mean, to say that, <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, because <laughs> labor is is available. Um, insurance, you know, like gosh, you know, um, State Farm just left California. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's not just, the only one. Yeah, they're not the only one. So. I mean, if you have a policy with State Farm, they're not renewing you. Um, so it's, 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 uh, it's a very interesting time for, for, yeah. for a lot of people. Try insurance. to get car insurance. It's Crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh,
0: also, what are the hardest expenses to analyze?
1: Yeah, you'd have to go back to repairs and maintenance. Yeah. yeah. Really the most difficult because you're really kind of having to assess the quality of the building, the age of the building, the components of it, uh, what's going on. Have they really done any maintenance in the past? You know, what condition is the building in? So you're going in there and you're looking at that. And if we're going back to, you know, management, uh, professional management is on it. They're looking at it all the time. They're maintaining their properties. And then all of a sudden, there's one owner that's mom and pop that only own one property. And they kind of tend to let things go. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, they wonder why their property is being hit with some extra cost and losses in the value, deferred maintenance. But uh, there can be a lot of deferred maintenance that creeps up.
0: Well, before I wrap this up, I just want to know, John, where can we find the Penner Expense Guide?
1: Well, it's on the internet. (laughs) Just (laughs) Um, a quick Google search of... At Penner-Associates.com.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to our guests, John and Marcus, who have certainly added a new layer of understanding for myself and I'm sure our listeners as well. Um, Until next time, remember that knowledge is power and the real estate shop is here to empower you in the real estate world.
1: Thank you. Great. Thank you.